Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls in the name of the Lord or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. You ever wanted God to tear open the heavens and come down? Recently? <laughs> Ever been in a situation where you've kind of cried out to God and said, God, please, come down. Would you advocate on my behalf? Would you step into the situation and do something? Would you help us out? I, I, I always find it interesting when you, when you see young kids and they try to settle what they perceive to be an injustice, something that they feel is... They, they, some, something has happened and they're not happy with it and they say things, just you wait till my dad gets here, then you're going to get it. <laughs> Ever seen that happen? Or some people, when my mom gets here, you're finished, that's it, done. I remember growing up, it was always my brother. My brother is always bigger. My brother's bigger than you and when he comes, he's going to sort you out. I mean, that's just kind of the way we always used to think. And there's a bit of that that happens here as well where we kind of say, hey, you're going to get it. We kind of live in a different world now when you go to school and the teacher kind of gives you a hard time. You go, you say to the teacher, the kids are saying, you're going to get it when my dad comes here and tells you what to do. Well, in my days, it was different. You know, if I, if I went home and said to my, my, my parents, you know, I got into trouble today at school. My dad says, why? Now you're in bigger trouble. That's how it used to work for me. Things have changed a bit. But we always try and call on a higher authority, something bigger than ourselves to try and intervene, to try and kind of intercede to try and advocate on our behalf. But what happens when we become older? What happens when we kind of step into the place where we're adults and we can't say, my dad's going to come and sort you out? Or my brother, he's going to sort you out. Maybe we do things differently. Maybe we live in a time when we say things like, well, just you wait until you hear from my lawyer. <laughs> we're all trying to find a bigger more powerful person to draw upon and to bring in and to work on our behalf. 
I just wonder, and I really wonder how we live in a world. How do people process things in this world? How do people process hurt? How do they process pain? How do they process meaning of life, injustice, without God? How do people do that? How do we, who do you call upon when you are dying inside, the world is crumbling around you, and you have no God? Who do you call upon? I, I found myself very often kind of talking to people, and they say things like, I couldn't get through this without God. And then I look at people who have no God, and I think, how do you get through this? And I kind of think to myself, there's probably two ways people approach this. If you have no God, the one way you do it is you have a sense of resignation, where you basically have a nihilistic, kind of fatalistic attitude in life that you're caught up in this universal kind of pool or the stream or this river that just takes you wherever you might go. And, you know, you just hope that you kind of get spat out of this current at a good place and things will work out fine. I don't think that's any way to live. Because if you have no God... You can actually expect that, well, life happens and you just better just kind of suck it up and hope it works out okay. Then there's the other alternative that people do, and that's a sense of self-empowerment. Where they believe that we have to, you know, I am the master of my own destiny. I'm the captain of my own ship and I'm here and I'm going to make it work and I'm going to step out there and it's all going to happen. But I've realized something about self-empowerment as well. How empowered can we truly be? How are we even able to fathom and process and solve problems that are going on around us? How do you look at the news and look at war in foreign countries and say, in your own self-empowerment, you're going to solve that? We can't. As, as much as we should pick up responsibility within our lives and, and do things and make sure that we actually stand on our own two feet and kind of face life and do what we can, there are still things in our life that we cannot deal with and don't know how to process. We still live in that world. When you hear the words of Isaiah and he says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. I feel like we can all relate to that. I feel like there's something inside of us that, that comes alive and says, Yes, God, please would you tear open the heavens. Please, God, would you come down. In Isaiah 64, well, 63 and 64, it's actually a lament over God's dealing with Israel. The people are exiled. It's kind of part of a body of Scripture that people speak of as the second part of, of Isaiah from about verse 40, Deutero Isaiah. And they say in this passage that he's speaking about people who are lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. If you go into verse 10 and 11, you'll see there seem to be references to that in those verses as well. And so there are three parallels that I want to kind of leave with you and just to think with you, for you to think about as we talk about this this morning. The first is these exiles that are most likely in Babylon. They face injustice. They've been captured. And it's kind of a weird dynamic. And as we read the scripture, we pick this up as well. Because on the one hand, they are facing the consequences of their own sin. And they recognize that in the text. There's a recognition of that. But on the other hand, there's still a sense of calling out for a higher, to a higher power, for a sense of justice, for a sense of intervention. And so we see these people, they are foreigners, in a, in a, in a, they are strangers in a land that is not their own. They have captors, they have people that rule over them that are not their own people. And unfortunately, it's a fate most likely brought upon themselves by their own sins. 
As we start this Advent season, I want you to think of a second parallel idea, and that is that of the birth of Christ. For the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, they were living at the time of the birth of Jesus under Roman occupation. They were looking for deliverance. They wanted somebody to come down and tear open the heavens and be a part of the solution. But they were looking for maybe some kind of a military leader, some kind of a political leader, a deliverer who would cast off these, the, the yoke of the Romans and set them free and establish them again as the nation was under David or Solomon. That's what they wanted. They too wanted the heavens to be torn open and for God to come down. And then we have our lives. For some of us, you might be facing sickness. For some of us, you might be facing challenges. Christmas is an incredible time where we remember the birth of Christ. But it's also the time when we sit around tables and we realize that some people are no longer with us. It's a time of remembering good things, but also bad things. And somehow, in the good, it can highlight these things of emptiness in our lives and these moments where we mourn. For some, we look at the challenges we face in our relationships, sickness. We look at the culture, the world around us. And we can easily become desperate, fall into a place of despair. But we can also get to the place where we also cry out, as the writer in Isaiah does and says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and that you would come down. Let's look at three things that this passage teaches us quickly this morning. And hopefully this will help you even as we navigate the challenges in our lives and we consider this Advent season. The first is this. From this passage we understand that there is a need, not only a need, there is a desire. Whether you're in Babylon, whether you're there at the birth of Jesus, or in today's times, there is a need and a desire for divine intervention. The writer says this, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fires kindle brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. And then he says this, To make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Summed up. Please, God, will you show up and do something? Will you show up? Will you do something for us? The cry of many of our hearts so often. This is an interesting concept because often we live in this place of good intentions. I I was thinking about this and considering this whole idea of show up, do something. And, and one, of the, one of the accounts that came to me was the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And I thought, you have these guys that are walking past a man in the ditch. And they are, maybe they show up, but they don't do anything. Maybe they looked at themselves as re religious rulers and said, well, he could be dead. And if I go there, I become unclean. So 
I'm going to walk on the far side and make sure I remain my religious, religiously I remain clean. They might have said a prayer as they passed by. They might have even had good intentions. We don't know. We paint them as having bad intentions purely because they are kind of juxtapositions with a Samaritan that actually shows up and he does something. But you know, sometimes what we need is not good intentions. We need somebody to show up. Sometimes what we need is, and it's good to say, I'll pray for you, and we should pray for each other. But sometimes we need to show up and do something. You know, we, you might have been a part of this or experienced this or maybe a family member or somebody you know has experienced this when you have some kind of an intervention. When somebody in the family maybe has got a substance abuse problem, whether it's alcohol or drugs, their life is completely spinning out of control and they show up one day and everybody's there say, this is an intervention. Now, if you were asked to attend an intervention, could you say, hey, I'll send you a gift. Can't make it. Can I write a note and say, hey, please, you need to deal with this? What's happening? You show up and you say, I'm here because I believe in you. I'm here because something has to change. You show up and you do something because we need that to happen in our lives. There is a desire. There is a need for somebody. We have that inside of us. We're looking for it. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would come to your people and bring deliverance. There is a need and a desire for divine intervention. The second thing I want to note is this. God is known to have intervened in the affairs of humanity. The interesting thing about this passage is that if you read verse 1, the writer says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But if you jump to verse 3, he actually says, When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you what? You came down. You came down. And then it says, The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who works for those who wait for him. The writer in many ways says, we want you to come down. We want you to bring deliverance. And then he stops and he goes, but you've done it before. You have done it before. Meaning this, we serve a God that does come down. We serve a God that does intervene, gets involved in the affairs of humanity, steps into that space interjects himself into your life into my life finds us on a road in a ditch we we serve a god that comes to us we serve emmanuel god with us not god apart from us we do have a god that comes to us as we read this passage those that read and those that understand the writing would have thought of possibly the following they would have thought of the way god showed up at sinai when the law was given if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, Moses relates the story of when God gave the law, and he says this, and we can see the parallels in this passage. These words the Lord spoke with a loud voice to the whole assembly at the mountain, out of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, and he dressed 
Uh, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets and gave them to me when you heard the voice out of the darkness. Well, the mountain was burning with fire. And then he goes on to speak about how the people saw this. And they realized that as God spoke to them, they were not consumed. They had heard the voice of God, but they were not consumed. And then they say this, they were afraid. They were afraid. And so they say there, so now why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, we shall die. There was a time when he tore open the heavens and he came down and there was fire and there was, there, there, there was smoke and there was trembling and the mountains shook and there was the powerful move of God because we serve a God that does tear open the heavens and he does come down. But think for a second. We're in the season of Advent and God came again. But you know, the mountain didn't shake. I'm not sure there was fire unless somebody was warming themselves somewhere in the corner in a stable. In fact, it was rather undramatic, wasn't it? Had shepherds show up and they kind of, hey, there's this child. Oh, there were angels. We saw angels. There were angels. They appeared in the skies and told the shepherds, go and see. I love in that story of the nativity how the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. In fact, if you read Luke, there's this beautiful, if, if you kind of track, the angel Gabriel comes to, uh, um, oh my gosh, uh, John's father. Okay, my mind has gone blank on me for a second. Zechariah. And he actually says this, he says, and this is the, po the point. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Wow. Not like, Hey, I'm just some guy they sent on an errand. I'm the messenger. I'm the mailman. It's like, no, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Then Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, comes to Mary. And then he goes, highly favored. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And then the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive and in your womb bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The parallels and the, the contrast between the mountain that shakes and the baby in a manger. Wow. Think about that. Think about Elijah in the cave. And there was a great wind and there was a great shaking and there was a great earthquake, but God was not in it. God was not in it. God was, then a gentle whisper came, but God was there. Where's God moving in your life today? We cry to the heavens and we say, God, would you come? And sometimes we're looking for a shaking mountain, but sometimes it is just to be found in a baby in a manger that looks helpless. It seems so insignificant but yet it is so powerful. Where is God moving in the world today? Are we looking for the heavens to be torn open and the mountains shaken? Or are there small ways in your life and my life every day that if we opened our lives, our eyes, we would see that God is showing up in a beautiful, wonderful, 
sometimes peaceful, sometimes dramatic, but God is showing up in our lives. The third point I want to leave is this. God's intervention is not always what we expect. As the writer continues through this passage, he says of God that he meets those who gladly do right and those who remember him in his ways. And then he says, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we, tress, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We want God to tear open the heavens. We want God to come down, but the question is why? What do you need saving from? What do I need to be saved from? Because here's the thing. We could easily say, I need saving from the latest news. I need saving from the world, culture, this, that. But you know, this is what happened. When that baby came at Advent, when that baby came into the world, they were looking for a political ruler. They were looking for a military ruler. They were looking for somebody. Come down, tear open the heavens, come down, take these Romans, get rid of them and establish the kingdom like in the time of David and set us up again. And you know what happens? He comes, but he doesn't come the way they want him to come. He comes, but he doesn't give them what they necessarily were looking for because he knows there's something greater. I think it's in Luke chapter 5. There's an there's a interesting story where four friends take one of their friends, he's paralyzed, and they take him to Jesus. And as they take him to Jesus, they, they can't get in, so they climb on the roof, they just pull the whole house apart. I mean, talk about home renovation, this is it, okay? They pull it apart. They lower him through the roof, because here's the point. They're taking their paralyzed friend to Jesus, because what does he need? He needs healing. We've got a game of football happening, we need a fifth guy. Can we get him up? They want their friend to be healed. They drop him down. It is one of the most dramatic moments. Like scripture, I mean, tiles are flying. These guys are running through. It is just, I mean, if you're sitting with Jesus, things are falling from the ceiling. You're like, what is going on? Is this the second coming? No, Jesus is here. He can't come a second time. He's okay. Well, we've got to work this out in our head. But I mean, it's all sorts of things are happening. They lower him down and they're like, we did it. Our friend finds his healing and Jesus turns to him and says, your sins are forgiven. You're like, what? Are you for real? Because you see, sometimes what we think we need is what we, we don't really know what we need. And what we think we need is not what we need. But God knows what we need. He does heal him and he says, well, to show that I'm sent of God, stand up and walk and he walks out. But you see, there's so many times in our lives where we look and we say, God, I need this. And God doesn't give us that. He gives us something else. And we say, but God, that's not what I need. And God goes, no, that's what you want, but this is what you need. Matthew chapter 1, 21, speaking of the birth of Christ. Jesus came, and she will bear a son, speaking to Joseph. And you are to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people. <clears throat> now you can stop there. And you can decide how you want to finish that sentence. Or you can read it and know exactly why he came. 
and he will save his people from their sins. What do you want God to do for you? Where do you feel you need or want deliverance? And maybe the prayer we need to pray is, God, what is it not that I want, but God, what is it that I need? Isaiah 64, and I close with this, verses 8 and 9. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Wow. You are our Father. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus said, Pray, our Father, yet here in Isaiah, you are our Father. That's a relational connection. That's, you know, when I grew up, my father didn't give me everything I wanted. In fact, there were times my father said, I don't like your friends. I didn't like it when he said that, but he was right. I know what I wanted, but my father often knew what I needed, not what I wanted. What we want from God is often very different from what God knows we really need because He's our Father, He loves us, and He wants the best for us. The writer says, we are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord. Do not remember iniquity forever. Does He? He doesn't. That's why Jesus came. So our sins can be forgiven. Now consider, we are all your people. May God come and tear open the heavens. May He come down. Or may He come down and meet with us in the way that He wants to, desires to, and knows is best for us. And may He lead us in His ways everlasting. Amen.